GBC Podcasts. Local voices on demand. Hello, thanks for listening to the Gibraltar Today podcast. I'm Jonathan Scott. What was it like to be a care worker when the coronavirus started to spread in our care homes? What was it like working 12-hour days as a healthcare professional in the hospital during the pandemic? How did it feel to have these efforts rewarded with the freedom of the city for the health authority and the elderly residential services? Questions today for paramedic Sigurd Haviland, dementia coordinator Karen Truman, head of facilities at the Health Authority Darren Montegrifo and discharge coordinator Lisa Long. Thank you for coming in. We, we sort of wanted to shine a light, if you like, on the excellent work that we know was done during the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, the freedom of the city must have been a lovely moment for you guys. Um, I, I don't know who wants to, to start, but take us back to, to last Wednesday when, when you heard all of those lovely words said about the efforts, the brave and selfless efforts of the health authority and elderly residential services during what must have been, you know, the most challenging months of, of your careers, I imagine. Um, I think looking back, um, it was... It, COVID pulled us all together to start off with. It really brought Gibraltar together as a community in a way that we wouldn't have wanted. However, it, it, it just cemented the the idea that Gibraltar is a very small community and working together, you know, COVID was not going to beat us. And together, the GHA, the ERS, and the community, people out there came together and did things that I don't think they thought were ever possible, Um, you know? And, I mean, Darren, you setting up the field hospital... Yep, um, the preparation of the field hospital was actually very challenging but somewhat interesting. Um, it definitely provided a lot of job satisfaction to everyone um, to be able to be working there firsthand, ensuring that the hospital, or hospitals in this case, um, were fully equipped with stocks and um, sufficient, sufficient staff to, to run it. Um, we had to transfer officers from St Bernard's into the field hospital, train them, uh, most of these officers came from other government departments with no, um, they were not health-minded, so it was literally starting from scratch. Um, and to be honest, once everything was set up and running, it was rather shocking to see what used to be an indoor um, stadium being converted to a massive hospital ward um, comprising of 300 additional beds. It, it was very... So, um... Uh, it was a stark image, wasn't it? It made us really think, oh, goodness, if this goes badly, it could be really scary. The thing is, we were prepared. When we saw everything that we had accomplished in so little time, and as Lisa mentioned, everything, everyone came together, and we did so much in so little time, I think um, everyone felt quite confident that we, we had this. So, so you, you, you weren't feeling at any point, Lisa, that, um, that this was going to be... Uh, a challenge that was going to, in some ways, get the better of the health authority and ERS. You always managed to remain positive. I don't think that anybody could honestly say that there weren't moments where we were worried, frightened, terrified. I think the world was. However, I don't think that we would have let it get the best of us here. I really don't. I mean, I, it brought back. I've been here twenty-eight years, and I was proud to be here. I was proud to be Gibraltarian. And part of an organisation that that brought so much together in such a short amount of time, and really, sadly, we lost people, but 
in a lot of places. It was far worse than here. Our elderly were protected. Uh, it was amazing what we did. I'm very, very proud. And, you know, to get freedom of the city for it, I think, you know, yes, we feel it's deserved. Um, and we're proud. Good for you. Um, let's bring in Sigurd, because um, I, I've just had the thoughts there uh, of how difficult um, those early months in particular were. No, while we were still trying to understand what COVID-19 was, how it spread, uh, what it would mean uh, for the health authorities, what equipment they'd need, all the rest of it. You are somebody, I think I'm right in saying, who likes planning things quite methodically, but this was like organised chaos, really. Not 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 because of the, the health authority or the ERS's response, just worldwide, it was, we, we were venturing into the unknown. Absolutely. I think that uh, uh, came as an unprecedented surprise. Uh, the the pandemic, we heard about it in China then other uh, cities around the world and then all of a sudden uh, it struck Gibraltar. Um, but, but obviously uh, I, I need to express uh, what the freedom of the city uh, means for the ambulance service and, and, and it is an opportunity to pay tribute and uh, honour the men and women that served under the Gibraltar Ambulance Service, uh, be it the emergency service and the patient transport service, uh, and acknowledge our colleagues uh, from 111 and the Gibraltar Fire and Rescue Service who are our dispatchers, uh, how they collaborated together and they, they had this seamless uh, working, um, I would say, the teamwork that they were able to put together uh, and send us to the right patient at the right time um, in, in, in what it was a very difficult climate to, to, to work in uh, and also to express our gratitude to, uh, to St John Ambulance which uh, thanks to them we were able to free some of our resources uh, to maintain uh, business continuity and um, being able to attend to the emergency calls so, so COVID was a, it was a complex situation, but I think that as the rest of us here today can allude to, I think that we all came together and when the call came, we all were able to um, deliver. What was it like, let's bring in Karen, what was it like, Karen, for, um, uh, you, I mean, you're uh, now the dementia uh, coordinator um, congratulations on your new job you. um, deputy nurse coordinator as well and, and you have been at um, at ERS if I'm not mistaken what, what, what was the sentiment like in those early days when um, we started uh, understanding what this virus was like and, and, and in particular the threat that it posed to vulnerable people such as those in nursing homes um, I think it's something that we were n could never envisage. Um, um, I know when I went into my role as Deputy Nursing Coordinator, it was right at the start. Um, COVID had only just come up in China. And um, from quite early on in that year, a lot of planning and preparation um, was put into place to try and preempt what was going to happen. Um, I don't think any of us could actually envisage what happened when it did. And, and working within elderly residential services, um, we managed so far to... to 
to keep it out. We did an awful lot of work to try and make sure that um, infection control standards were really high, trying to make sure that we screened people as much as we possibly could. Um, but once it was going to come through the door, we were in a, an area, we were in people's homes. And, and you could see people living at home. You know, if one person got it in their house, then everybody else got it in that house and that was pretty much what it was like with us we, we did as much as we can but we had lots of elderly people who varying different um, illnesses and diseases that needed to care for we had a lot of people with dementia um, who, who didn't understand what was going on and suddenly we were trying to um, become their families become their carers and 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 try and make their lives and quality of life as good as possible going through something that no one could even imagine yeah which which must have been very difficult and 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 as you say i mean there was a certain inevitability about the way that the virus spread which uh, which i wanted to ask uh, sigurd uh, about as well um you must have had conversations among your teams about um look we're we're likely to get it ourselves but but we need to be here for our, our vulnerable um you know be it a, a patient that you're picking up in an ambulance sigurd or or somebody who's in in a care home no i mean you you must have there must have been conversations s- certainly uh, in the early days about look there's personal risk here Absolutely. But we need to take it. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. I mean, we're all in the profession that we are because it's a vocation. So I don't think at any one point people were thinking, well, oh, you know, this one's not for me, count me out. But what we did see was perhaps more than we anticipated, the teamwork, the team spirit. Everyone pulled together. Everybody helped each other. And you could see, you know, your staff and the colleagues also getting the same illness. And some people were really quite ill with it. Um, so we were having to cover each other. We were having to support each other, sort of physically and emotionally through the whole time and and the the work that the guys did to say gha and ers um that i experienced was absolutely amazing and i i don't think we'll ever encounter anything like that again and for me that will stay with me for the rest of my life well, we're going to take a, a very quick break for the latest local news but quickly first if i may sigurd this um this this question of personal risk how, d- how did you experience it uh well uh, i'm privileged to have uh, worked shoulder to shoulder with uh, remarkable individuals and uh, i think that you never think that in this line of work uh, you're going to put your life on the line. But I think that uh, we all accept that risk and uh, we, we we just served our community as best as we could. Yeah, thank you for that. Uh, Lisa, you, you wanted to address that point as well. Um, personal risk, people, sort of colleagues, knowing that uh, there was uh, a risk that they would get the virus and we didn't know who it would impact and how, but, but you got on with it. We did. I mean, as Karen says, it's a vocation. Um, any... We face risk every day at work. We weren't prepared for the for for the enormity, I suppose, of the risk. However, I think so many people stepped up and stepped into positions without complaint, without I think without considering personal risk. Lisa, you said uh, people just got on with it um, to to a great extent, uh, and and one of the other things that uh, I remember happening uh, was you know this idea that uh, healthcare, health and care workers were having to put in really long hours and cancel their leave. How, how did you experience that? We did. I mean, uh, an awful. Uh, we used to long hours. We used to, but also used to our downtime. Um, I think people. Uh, willingly gave up. I mean, let's face it, we had nowhere to go anyway, really, did we? Um, <laughs> we couldn't what, what have got leave. Yeah, it was lockdown. Eh? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, a lot of us had sort of families at home. We had um, partners that worked in, in, in different areas who were working. We had our own children at home. 
But to be fair, so did everyone else. You know, the community was in the same situation. So um, I think as COVID built, a momentum built and it was just, we will get through it. We will overcome it. You know, um, yes, leave was cancelled. We're we're trying to get it all back now. Trying. Um, yeah, yeah, we're managing. You know, I mean, <laughs> we are. Because um, I suppose if, if a lot of people had, had accumulated a lot of leave, it's still difficult to, to find the right time and, and yeah, the right absolutely. balance and how to coordinate it. No? Yeah, and we've been allowed to sort of like carry leave over so that we're not, obviously not going to lose leave. Um, you know, uh, we really it's what what we need we need our downtime now we need a bit of our lockdown now i can imagine i mean there's still um sort of adrenaline kept you going i suppose for a long time but but uh, working really long hours without um taking any breaks and without taking holidays uh that sort of we did but, but working those long hours we were supported by the community i mean we had we had organisations that were bringing us meals in. We had people bringing us in food and fruit. And, you know, the community in their own way behind closed doors moved and supported us and gave us the support that we needed to care for them. Did, did you feel that as well, Darren? Did you feel um, sort of during those difficult days that, um, uh, you know, this was a, a community effort and, and you were part of that? Yeah, definitely. Um, luckily, everyone stepped up to the challenges um, and it showed the great community spirit within the GHA and Gibraltar as a whole. Um, I feel very proud to have formed part of the GHA during a worldwide pandemic. Um, it was very long hours. We did work 12, 14-hour shifts, seven days a week. Um, hopefully, we don't have to go through that again, but if we did, I would do it all over again. And do you think that um, it became easier? You found sort of um, coping mechanisms, ways to do it while still taking, I don't know, like 10-minute breaks here and there to clear your mind? It did become easier. Obviously, as days go by, at the beginning, um, we were all kind of a bit more frightened, scared. We didn't know what to expect. Then we had um, patients getting COVID. We knew that, obviously, we could get out of it. And that did kind of give us a bit more of a positive... Um, feel again as i mentioned before we the ghha in general we were prepared and um, we had time because um it happened in other countries where the covid just got there literally um overnight and the cases went up we luckily had a few maybe weeks a month just over to prepare and when we got our first case here we we had it we had this Good. Well, that's a, that's a great, reassuring sort of um, approach. Uh, it, it strikes me uh, that, uh, Sigurd, you, you're here as a paramedic, but you're also uh, a, an endurance athlete. I mean, uh, this was definitely more of a marathon than a sprint, no? <laughs> Absolutely, it was. Uh, and uh, we were presented with a model by the Director of Public Health at the beginning, and uh, we had to adjust ourselves and prepare ourselves to that model. Uh, and the finish line never seemed to... To wasn't in sight. So it wasn't in sight. No, uh, but but I think that's in a way paradoxically we were we, we were privileged that uh, we were able to to uh, well, I was I was walking was walking to to work uh, very empty streets but we were meeting with colleagues uh, and um, and we were able to have some sort of uh, um, uh, normal living as you 
may be able to put it in context when you think about all those who were confined uh, and they wasn't they were not able to have any contact with, with others. So in a way, you know, yeah, we were driving uh, in in empty streets, responding to calls in empty streets. It was very weird. Um, but I think that perhaps one of the most challenging aspects of all this was uh, the de-escalation. So I think that escalating was easier and we were prepared to escalate to a certain extent because obviously we started with shortages in the ambulance service uh, and it was it was a it was quite difficult to maintain business continuity i can say it was a privilege that only two of our staff uh, they went off six generally uh, very you know, on very genuine uh, reasons uh, which some of them haven't been able to come back to the ambulance service uh, but most of uh, of, of us uh, they were we, we, we kept our our service and um, th uh, throughout, so there were very little sickness. But like I said, de-escalating at the end was uh, was a difficult task. And you talk a lot about um, service. I mean, for for you, uh, and we've heard vocation. You know, uh, sort of underlying that the work that you do I is that very much uh, the mentality for uh, the the, the uh, ambulance service. You know, that that you serve the the Gibraltar community. Absolutely. I, th I think that uh, it was like uh, an unsaid motto that we had throughout COVID, uh, that we were there to serve the community. And I've, I've, as I alluded uh, uh, before, it was difficult to, uh, to, 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 to see how we were uh, to accept the risk that, that we were taking. And an ambulance was going out, they were coming back, uh, and we knew that they were uh, exposed to as you mentioned before, to a household full of COVID uh, uh, patients and they were coming back, they were decontaminating the, the, the ambulance and the risks of, uh, of reporting sick the next day with COVID was really high. And th those were, it, was, um, it wasn't the normal um, uh, climate of no, work of course. that we normally... Um, yeah, no, nothing about it was normal, right? Really. No, absolutely. I mean, we, we we got used to it, but but it was it, it almost feels unreal when you think back to to the the, the all of the different things like like testing. Uh, let's bring in Karen. I mean, I remember testing becoming part and parcel of of my um, everyday life. I mean, not I wasn't testing every day, but I was testing regularly, and and, and I was thinking about testing before going to see vulnerable, um, you know, grandparents or anybody who might be vulnerable. Uh, the moment I found any symptoms, anything like that. But of course, that was me and and you know m my family, if you like. But but you were having to sort of think about testing and, and how to do it for uh, the for the care homes uh, mm. with lots of vulnerable people. Yeah, I mean, testing still forms part of our lives at the moment. You know, we still test on a weekly basis um, more so if we find that we have uh, the need to but we've been testing since you know um, December 2020 um, through to now um, and uh, at times you know for a long part of it we were testing every single day um, so that's a that's a huge amount of tests and and the the staff expecting to do that every single day and they were coming to work early so they were starting their shifts at say seven o'clock in the morning because we had to stagger their shift time so we changed their world upside down so instead of coming to work everybody at the same time we had to change the time so not everyone was arriving at the same time we actually had you know a swabbing unit set up and these guys were coming to work at five o'clock in the morning to be able to swab everybody before they come into work so you know i can see staff stood you know we, we put shelters up where we could but they were coming in the cold rain to be tested to make sure they were safe to come into the building to look after people um and that is incredible you know that that wasn't um you know people were expected to do it but they did it 
um, without questioning at all. And, and you know, we, we're still trying to, to de-escalate, um, as you said, because that's the difficult bit now. It's knowing when to be able to say, you know, we, we've done this now and we need to move on. But um, so, so escalating was sort of um, becoming uh, more prepared for uh, a short-term response to, to COVID-19, if you like, and, and now uh, the de-escalation is going back to something which was more like what we had before, before yeah. but 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 with still some an element of testing yep, and we still test once a week at the moment up in Aldi residential services that's for the staff the residents and for the families that come and visit and we're still wearing the masks the PPE so um, you know that that sort of thing and, and for me one of the big things that stuck through through Covid was actually being in the building where we almost had the whole building full of Covid and seeing the staff dressed all of us dressed from head to toe in masks Masks, visors, hairnets, gowns, gloves, shoe protectors, um, and and the, the ability to communicate, and they managed to do that still. Um, but it, it was incredible. I, it, it, it's just unreal to even put into words what they actually went through during that time. Some of the images, I remember uh, the ambulance service doing like a, a dry run, uh, and, and then you know sort of the elderly residential services in full ha- hazmat suits, and, and and those were sort of almost like sci-fi images that I think will stay with me always yeah yeah uh, it's, it was incredible and, and people actually worked 12 hour shifts through that um, with reduced numbers of staff because we, we were having people going down with COVID at the same time so you know people were it was sort of recycling once, once somebody would come back the next lot would go off and it was we were picking people up daily and as I said it's you, you can't plan for that because you don't know who's going to turn up for work next well they turn up for work but of course you swab and and they become positive and you can't you can't let them into work so um it was a, it was an incredible setup to be able to protect people as much as they can and and the, the way people worked through it was was in, incredible for me um well, for the next five minutes or so, we're talking to the Health Authority and Elderly Residential Services after they received the Freedom of the City uh, last Wednesday. Uh, Karina says, very well-deserved recognition of your selfless work. Uh, and Sam, I think, speaks for, for many uh, when when she says that um, you cared for, for her father and always made sure that he was comfortable. So, so thank you. Uh, for doing that. I mean, there's, there's been a lot of heartfelt messages. Um, um, uh, and I think, uh, Lisa, you're nodding along. That that must give you sort of a, a sense of purpose and of satisfaction that, you know, it was, it was a really difficult time. But, but um, you know, you, you, you certainly helped people through it. Absolutely. I think, I think to a degree it, it affirmed for me and a lot of our colleagues why we actually are in these roles. You know, it was a vocation. It almost became more than that. It, it, our sense of why we do what we do was confirmed to all of us and we felt proud. I mean, it was every single one of our family members, our friends. We were protecting all of us as we were protect Gibraltar. It was something, as I say, Karen has said, I will never forget some of those feelings of pride. And it, and it does make me quite emotional, actually, I'm sure all of us. Um, unprecedented. Let's hope that it will never happen again. Um, if it does, we're ready. 
Yeah. Um, Tr- Tracy says that uh, you guys are, are heroes, you and your and your colleagues, and um, and Wilfred says just well done. Um, you were brave and hardworking. Uh, thank you from Wilfred, uh, and and from Tracy. Um, right. We, before we let you guys get back to your uh, day jobs, um, we've been talking about de-escalating and 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 you know um, what, how to to progress now that. Um, the pandemic is officially no longer a, a worldwide pandemic. COVID nineteen still exists, but we can think about it as being a more normal thing now in 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 our community, and deal with it in the way that we do the many other uh, potentially infectious diseases and viruses that uh, that we have to live with. Um, but but let me ask you if to what extent there are lessons um, that you think. Um, have been learned or, or, or could be learned? I don't know who, who wants to go first, but um, have we learned lessons from the COVID-19 pandemic and what are they? Sigurd, are you nodding? or? Uh, well, uh, I wasn't actually nodding, but... <laughs> <laughs> but you're going to go first now. But, uh, um, obviously, it was a surreal period that, that, that we lived and you're always wiser after the uh, the events. But, the, the, you know, and lessons have been learned. But but the crux of the matter is that uh, we live in in what then was an an island, and we couldn't expect mutual aid from anyone, be it uh, cross border, from UK, from anywhere else, because they were in the same mess that that than we were. Uh, importing staff from 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 elsewhere was impossible. So it was explored at one point with the with the Nightingale Hospital. No, there was a, one jet that was brought over of nurses, but but it was a short term thing. No, uh, I I, th- I think that was the case. Uh, I remember in the first wave, which was at the beginning of March, April, and May, we did have um, a lot of nurses we deployed from the UK. Yeah. Sorry, that was March, April, and May in the first wave. The no? first wave, yeah. Um, but that wave for us, luckily, wasn't. Um, it didn't the really bad hit. One. It didn't really hit hard. Yeah. But when it got to the second wave, which hit um, us a lot harder, obviously other countries were also offering um, really, really good packages. Many went back and obviously worldwide. It was much harder, yeah. So yeah. it was much harder to actually get stuff in. Yeah, so that, that just makes the point that you were making, Sigurd, that um, uh, yes, we got the vaccines, we were supported by the NHS and the British government in that respect, but uh, in terms of staffing... Uh, we, 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 we were one We team. had what we had in Gibraltar and obviously we were very privileged that uh, we had services that were, that were supporting us. As I mentioned before, uh, St John Ambulance was, uh, was critical uh, to free the resources that we, that we could use for emergency services. But, but you used the word mutual aid and I suppose that, that sort of invites the idea that if we were in the UK, like physically then there, there would have been a bit more resilience exactly. because, geographically, no? Yeah, we could draw in from other regions. Where, where here, you, you, draw, you can't draw from anywhere. OK, um, Karen, lessons um, uh, uh, that, that you perhaps uh, have, have learned from the COVID-19 pandemic that you now take with you into your role as dementia coordinator? Oh, um, I think there, it's the importance of trying to maintain quality of life for people, um, the importance of being able to communicate. Um, I know we found it very difficult during the lockdown when it came through and we had a lot of people, as I say, people were wearing full suits and, and you know, trying to answer telephones and things like that was one thing that we, we knew was very difficult. Um, and going forward, I think that would be something that we would, you know, have found ourselves in that position again. Um, communication would be something that we would need to sort of bear in mind. 
mind. Um, but it is understanding that, you know, the, the, the idea of people being isolated and the impact that has on people and, and making sure that we, we look at how we can lessen that. But, you know, it was the way it was everywhere over the world. So we had to be locked down. We had to be shut away because we were trying to spread and Gibraltar was so much smaller. Um, you know, we didn't have the space to spread out either. So the, the chance of it um, being passed on was, was far greater. So, um, and I think we're going to be, you know, bearing the parts of, of COVID for some time to come, you know, with we're saying with regards to dementia and, and diagnosis rates and things like that, you know, people weren't getting to see GPs. They weren't getting to, to see the, the people that they needed to. And that's now starting to, to build up. And within our service, you know, seeing the residents now having parties again and having the outings and, and going out, you know, we're not back to where we were completely, but, you know, we're having paella nights and we're having music and we're having things and they're, they're having a great time again. So that's really nice to see that, you know, we're starting to come out of the other side of it. Great, good stuff. Um, and, and I look forward to um, hearing more and hopefully talking to you more uh, about the dementia strategy and your role as dementia coordinator yeah. in, in the coming weeks and months. Um, right, Darren, um, lessons learned? What, 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 what sort of do you, when you think of the COVID-19 and, and opportunities that may have arisen from then or since then? Okay. I must say that I personally learned a lot um, during the COVID pandemic and I'm sure I speak on behalf of most of the GHA employees. Um, the lesson learned is that even though the hospital is divided within two settings, you've got the clinical and the non-clinical, when it is needed, we became one. And it was literally, there was no clinical, non-clinical supporting staff, nurse, doctors. We were literally um, one piece. We worked for the GHA and our aim was patients, whether you are in a clinical setting or not. And that is something that I felt and I'm really proud to that's what I mentioned before, the GHA family. And I think that's the positive side of the pandemic. We have created a special bond within all departments and sections within the GHA. And we've become one solid rock, like the rock of both. <laughs> well said. Um, last words to, to Lisa on, on that point, you know, looking forward after the COVID yep. pandemic now. Um, okay, so just before um, the pandemic hit in about uh, January, the post that I've now really formed, the discharge coordinator, which had only just been created. And for me, COVID, you know, I'm not saying it was a good thing, but actually I've been able to form good working relationships with um, other departments, housing, social services, care agency, um, CSRO, and other um, organisations and charities within Gibraltar that now... I've created relationships with to discharge people from hospital with more community support and access than we ever had before, which can only be a good thing, sending people home to a safer, more supported environment when we've made them better. Excellent. Well, um, thank you for everything that uh, that you've done in recent uh, weeks and months and uh, and that you will do in, in the coming weeks and months. Um, thank you to Sigurd Haviland, paramedic, Karen Truman, Dementia Coordinator and Deputy Nurse Coordinator, to Darren Montegrifo, Head of Facilities and Corporate Services, and to Lisa Long, thank Discharge um, Coordinator and also Acting Matron. It's been lovely to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you for having Thanks us. Thanks very much. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for listening to those highlights from Gibraltar Today. I'm Kelly M. Borge, the show's producer. We're live on Radio Gibraltar Monday to Friday from 1 to 2, getting behind the headlines. 
and you can catch up here whenever you like. Until next time, have a good one. GBC Podcasts, local voices on demand.